Hello, welcome to the September 2021 edition of No Diagnostic Required, a monthly look at what's happening in the Safe Plus Plus community. With me, Phil Nash, and my co-host, Anastasia Kazakova. How are you doing this month, Anastasia? Hey, doing good. Actually, finally and luckily back to swimming, which means I'm back to listening to CPPcast. So yeah, hi, Jason and Rob. <laughs> and you know, I... I had some strange feeling recently uh, while I was swimming and I was listening to two episodes of CPP Cast, and one actually included our Chat Brains ads, which felt kind of creepy. Uh, but the other one was, you know, with that guy who just recently uh, was working uh, like in Chat Brains for a while and then moved to Sonar Source. I don't know. Do you know who hmm. it was? No, no idea. I'll have to catch up on that one. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that was a great episode with you, Phil, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and I just noticed also that uh, Rob and Jason were constantly asking you about the CPP chat restart. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe they're unhappy with no diagnostic required. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's the reason, but they were asking for maybe a couple of times during the episode about uh, like when you're going to have a new episode of CPP chat. So I don't know, do you know right now when is the next episode of CPP chat? <laughs> well, you would think that I would, but but I don't offhand. Uh, but probably not until <laughs> after CPP con at this point. So uh, a few weeks out, but we do okay. definitely plan to, to get back onto that. Okay, okay. But at least but they finally yeah. acknowledge that we are doing no diagnostic required to a, a strict monthly schedule. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so how do you listen to podcasts while you're swimming um actually that's a funny thing i have my ipod uh very like kind of old version the the standard shuffle ipod but it's um patched kind of patched by the company uh, which i guess they do not exist right now uh i bought it maybe five or six years ago it was mm -hmm. called water fee or something like that and they were just patching the regular iPods to make them waterproof. So that's actually cool because that's a real true uh, iPod shuffle, which lasts for years, I guess, in terms of the battery life. And it's very small. And so I can just swim with it and like listen to the episodes, which I just put there to the playlist. Um, so, yeah, but the funny thing is that I'm usually shuffling the episodes. <laughs> so the order in which I'm listening to CPP cast is sometimes <laughs> kind of random, <laughs> uh, which is also sometimes very weird and creepy. But yeah, I really like the setup. <laughs> it works nicely. I actually listen to CPP cast in a semi-random order as well. <laughs> Randomized. <Okay. laughs> so that's an interesting concept. <laughs> which is a nice segue <laughs> into our first topic, which is to, to do with concepts and enable if and benchmarking them. So, want to tell us about this one? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting um, benchmark and a very interesting article by Arthur. So, um, the benchmarking performed there um, was actually performed in order to answer a question which constraints methodology is faster, like Sphini using STD enable if or C++ 20 constraints using the requires keyword. And I have to say in advance, there is no clear winner <laughs> in all compilers, which uh, was a little bit of a surprise to me, but it was very interesting um, indeed to like, uh, dive into this. So results actually differ from one compiler to another, 
And also they depend on the generator selected to produce the translation units for the tests. And you can find how the generator in the test look like um, in the article. So there are these uh, code pieces and there are several options tested. So uh, the first um, option is actually coming um, like several options for uh, Sfini asked the uh, enable if in the tests are coming from the lib C++ approach that actually changed back in 2019 when the standard enable if usages were updated to a slightly different technique. And so it, the technique, the new technique actually includes less instantiations and more type aliases being used. And another variation in this generator is coming from like um, like different approaches um, in the generator itself, like either using the extra value parameter or extra type parameter. So these code pieces, they actually produce different results. So you can see um, like several lines here, and these are these different generators. And as I said, the tested options, they're all described in the blog post and they all produce different results on different compilers. And that's that's a very interesting uh, like output. So like on Clank, the requires approaches is significantly worse in all the tests. That's kind of more or less clear. On GCC, the requires approach shows kind of average results and the extra value parameter approach always showed the best results. On Microsoft's compiler, the requires approach becomes worse with the number of overloads in the test growing. I guess the maximum is up to 400 or something like that. And the shape of the curve is different from the others, which is completely different from like <laughs> other two compilers. Um, so yeah, all these changes and how uh, are there's actually changing the generator, the test itself, and how the results differ from like, you know, from the best to the worst. Uh, that's kind of a little bit surprising to me. So there is uh, an, an attempt to explain the what's going on with the Microsoft compiler there, but still there are like, oh, the biggest surprise probably is that many different results with the different shapes, uh, with the different like winners. And when one winner might become a complete loser in the, you know, on the same compiler with just changing how the things are working. Um, so yeah. Uh, if you want the details, just uh, dive into the article. It's like two parts of the articles. Uh, there is one part with some initial tests and and then there was some commands from the uh, audience. Actually, there is a huge thread um, under the post with some commands from the community. And so uh, he actually updated the generator and made um, a few other tests with, um, like the he changed the approach uh, when we, he was initially uh, explicitly specializing the function, and then he changed to uh, template argument deduction approach, uh, which is this second column. Um, so yeah, and these are the results. So if you're like looking at the pictures um, in the digest or uh, on YouTube, so there is this uh, nice pictures, and you can find them definitely in the in the blog posts. So yeah, this is the benchmark. So what do you think about it, Phil? How, how do you feel about these uh, different results? <laughs> well, first of all, it's very thorough uh, set of benchmarks, the, the level of detail that, that Arthur goes into to get all the different variations, not just across compilers, but techniques as well, which, which does show you just how much really goes into this. And I think that's really what's at the, the heart of this. On the surface, you'd think that a, a feature like requires that's specifically designed for this purpose <laughs> you would expect 
should actually have better compile times than the complete abuse of <laughs> the language that uh, EnableIf uh, make, makes use of. But of course, we've been using EnableIf for many years now, and compiler optimizers have been optimizing that particular usage uh, for many years, whereas required, we've only had four well, months really. So uh, give it time, I think. As we start to use uh, concepts more and more, the compilers will optimize for it more, and, and they we should actually start to see a clear winner. Is is my hope at least? Because <laughs> otherwise, we're, we're definitely doing something wrong. Yeah, I hope so indeed. Because I don't think there is any uh, case where the requires is a kind of clear winner here. There is no such case for now in in the test and the benchmark. So, but yeah, let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the next. Uh, story from C++ Stories is about uh, well, returning things. What would you want to tell us about this one? Yeah, that's actually a guest blog post uh, on C++ Stories blog. So um, it's like not originally from Bardic. Uh, and the author of this blog post is sharing kind of practical example from the robotics area, which is interesting by its own. So like the whole example and um, the author explores the solutions to kind of typical problem in this area, how to handle requests which can bring data or no data at all. And he actually trying to do his best to avoid a test for no data after like calling a decoding function each time because it just looks uh, um, very, uh, I would say, not nice in the code, let's call it this way. So uh, the solutions constructed and converted in the article are this listed in the title, like stood any, stood optional, and stood variant. So yeah, three obvious solutions which are coming to your mind when you're thinking about how to handle this kind of return thing. So um, stood any can contain any value of any type without any specification of the type. And this looks quite flexible. I would say like you can put anything and we're happy with it. But it quickly turned out in the article that you can't avoid specifying a type because you need it for um, return that data function. Uh, stood variant is something like the union and stood optional is probably the closest to the problem specification itself, like holds a value or no value at all. So all these three options are actually with the code samples are presented in the article. So you can um, look at them. Uh, but it's uh, interesting that in the end, they are discussing that there is also a possible implementation that doesn't uh, use inheritance because you might remember we discussed that in the previous episodes uh, of No Diagnostic Required, uh, this article by Arthur about uh, like how bad it is actually to inherit from the um, uh, stood library types. And so there is also an implementation which is trying to avoid this pattern. And uh, it's interesting that they are also discussing some proposals which are not yet in the language, but also might help to address this uh, kind of task in the future. So yeah, like several options available and you can select uh, whichever you prefer and kind of very practical example, which is always good if you want to, you know, <laughs> learn how to apply it to the real life. Uh, so yeah, just go through the post if you're interested in how to do that um, in C++. Uh, any thoughts on that, Phil? Yeah, I definitely file this under one of those. Um, it's, it's not so much about the, the destination as the journey. <laughs> and I expect many people would be like me on first reading this. You know, your first thought is, why not just use stood optional? That's exactly what, what the purpose is for. And that was 
sort of what the ultimate conclusion was, but in a very roundabout way. And he does go into why, you know, he was misled early on. He couldn't get optional to work the way he expected. And so he explored the other possibilities. And as a result, we do get to just have a look at all the different trade-offs that these different types give us and why, you know, okay, they, they weren't the best solution for this particular case, but, you know, there's other reasons why you might use them in other cases. And yeah, eventually he does actually come back around to using stood optional, albeit still uh, wrapping in his own type, uh, first for inheritance and then uh, through composition. And I would have gone straight for composition myself, but again, it's it's interesting to see other uh, ways of, of doing things. And actually, if you read the comments at the end, there were quite a few people saying, just use stood optional. <laughs> and <laughs> he, he, he was defending um, wrapping in his own type as an abstraction. So I wouldn't do that, but there are some valid reasons to to want to do that because you do protect yourself from a particular implementation. Uh, you might want to swap it out for something else at another time. Uh, you may even want to do it to preserve ABI, which uh, seems to be the, the popular <laughs> topic at the moment. But yeah, yeah. it's just um, it was interesting for the story, hence on C plus plus stories, rather than necessarily. Oh, this is how you do it. Yeah, you can draw true. your own conclusions. I think. And actually, there is another article um, uh, in the list I would like to discuss today, which is also about kind of, uh, you know, this story <laughs> um, and not the result is about like forcing the deep constants uh, by paragraphs. And so uh, in his blog, he wrote an article about um, const qualification exception to the template deduction and how to force this constant. Uh, constants in this case so uh yeah so the problem is that this function template that gets a pointer to a constant object of type t can actually be instantiated with a pointer to a mutable object and kind of oops that's okay it works and so Boris kind of um, as i said that's again an article about the the journey so he's exploring the ways to address this constant to fix uh to fix it to like to force it actually and so there are a few ways to force it in this situation and a little bit tricky because uh, he tries to um, fulfill the requirement that he doesn't want just to, you know, require the incoming type to be constant, but to force it to become constant. And that's why the concepts approach, for example, doesn't work for him. Uh, he's also using this span and uh, some code manually converting to const and uh, it has its, again, success and failures in these cases. There are some discussions about these um, implementations, and I guess the most successful one is with uh, this manual conversion. Uh, but it seems to be uh, kind of successful, but looks weird. Uh, and so the discussion then again goes to some possible solutions that are not in the language itself right now. So they're just discussed some further proposals like deduction guides for function templates and some um, like concepts which are not C++ 20 concepts which can alter the interfaces and they're actually just a nice way of doing exactly what uh, is implemented in this um, like uh, when he's manually converting to const this uh, altering the interfaces is just a nicer way of doing these things so um, yeah again this this is kind of this article about the journey how to do that uh, which options we have for now and which we might have uh, in the future and why it's better, um, like, uh, for example, these uh, kind of different concepts to just show you how to do the things which are actually correct and right, but just a little bit nicer. Um, so, yeah, that that's about this article, I guess. Yeah, Anything I'd you would like to add? I had a couple of thoughts. Uh, first one was, 
I like the way he takes this from first principles by by first showing that actually this is a bit of an exception in the implicit conversions model, where when you have a pointer to a non-const object, you can implicitly convert that to a pointer to a const object. That doesn't apply once you start wrapping that in, in other types. And that's where the problem comes from when you when you introduce a template type like span that has like reference semantics. You expect it to behave like a reference or a pointer, but it doesn't by default. And that's where we want to try and get that exception back. And there's not an easy way in the language to to achieve that today. And that's obviously what the article is then about, the, the different trade-offs. And then you mentioned uh, non-C20 concepts. So the, the original concepts that was going to be going into C++ OX, which became C++ 11. The actual feature that he was talking about, something called concept maps, that's uh, so quite a big part of the original concepts that didn't actually make it through to what we got in C20, unfortunately. That's a very powerful feature. And you can see why it had to be taken out just to make sure that we actually get concepts at all. But it's a shame that nobody really seems to be talking about, you know, maybe we should actually get that back. And uh, even Barry in the article, although he talks about it, says it'd be a great solution in this case, and I agree. He then says, well, you know, maybe we'll get that, but don't hold your breath. So I think there is this implicit understanding that it's, it's just a bit too far for what we want in the language. And I think that'll be a shame because where I've seen it in other languages, uh, and it comes in different forms, both um, uh, statically and dynamically, uh, it always seems to be a, a real sort of game changer in terms of what you can actually do because it allows you to adapt your interface in a very non-intrusive way to, to conform to other interfaces effectively. And whether that interface is, let's say, it's a static or a dynamic interface depends on the actual language feature. In this case, it would be a a static one. Uh, And I think that's a real shame because the the way you compose uh, types and and functionality together is a really important part of uh, software development. And any feature that makes that more powerful, I think, is is a good thing. So maybe this will be enough to start the discussion again, but um, we'll we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Like this uh, kind of uh, concept of the more powerful concept which is uh, like this transformation um, possibilities. Uh, it might be very interesting, but it's indeed looking quite dangerous. I mean, like it, it should take some time to get it into the language. So it's good we have at least the concepts we have. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah because like, look what's happening with some other big things like, uh, you know, contracts, for example. So maybe it's a good start, but uh, would be interesting to like to look forward um into these like more powerful concepts. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Of course, the one thing that's often holding us back is ABI, and <laughs> we have a long story about that one. Yeah, that's a really long story. I mean, like long, long story. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks to John uh, Hindmanid about uh, this for this very long article dedicated actually to C and C ABI. I mean, like, it's a very hot topic, a very popular topic today, and maybe some people are even a little bit tired of it, but I would say that um, if you're into these discussions or you're at least, you know, try to follow them, it's good for you to, uh, you know, take some time, maybe take an evening um, and read through the article. Uh, it's truly really worth it because uh, what I like about it the most uh, I won't tell you uh, in any details, brief or short, uh, the whole article here because it's really a long read. 
but uh, I would really encourage you to read it through because for me, it's maybe the best collection of ABI failures in C and C++ you ever met these days in the community. I mean, like, usually when people are talking about the ABI, they're like coming with one or two examples saying like, hey, look, here we failed with this new shiny feature in the standard route because of the like uh, ABI failures or here we like fail somewhere in practic practice because of the ABI or here like something happened uh, because of the ABI. But this is really a collection of all these stories in one place. I mean, uh, he's discussing like how changing the copy constructor changes, uh, how it's called with some examples in uh, assembly and you can actually look at how it, uh, how it works. So uh, he's talking about the C, not just the C++, like what's the problem of having two identical C functions where one takes long, long and one takes like uh, int uh, 128T, uh, like problems with nested functions. Uh, why are we stuck with like uh, pure performing STD uh, regex? Like remember the Hannah's talk on uh, regex library and like all her benchmarking. Uh, why designers of different libraries like POSIX and Ethernet protocols libraries are reserving bits, <laughs> you know, for just for nothing, for at least just in case, you know, we all do that uh, in the networking. Uh, what was the problem with uh, std format with locale uh, issues and the Microsoft story behind the no unique address? Uh, and I think we'll be uh, back to it a little bit later today. So all these stories are actually collected uh, with all the details, like what actually happened, why was the uh, the change, what was the ABI break, um, and uh, like in case with uh, C functions, even with uh, this kind of uh, well, sorry, with uh, with the constructors or with all this assembly code, so you can actually look at how 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 it all works. So all these stories are collected in this very long blog post. So after reading for it, you will know what's actually all these people around you are currently discussing for a year or maybe more already. So uh, there is lots of maybe frustration shared uh, in the end and through the whole blog post, but. Uh, the more I was reading for these stories, the more I actually got to this point of frustration. Because when you uh, kind of meet one story, that's fine. When you meet two, you're like started to thinking that something is going wrong. When you have like 10 stories like that, uh, you start to kind of understand what's actually going on there in the modern language evolution and why we're actually discussing the ABI. So if you would like just to understand uh, why we all are so crazy about it right now. <laughs> Just read for it. That's a very um, interesting, but yeah, kind of long, long read. Uh, I don't know, Phil, have, did you manage to read for it? <laughs> so I will confess, I haven't read every word yet. But I just started reading it and I scanned through <laughs> the rest. But um, yeah, just, just to balance that, it's, it is quite long. It's not that long. It's not like a novel. I'd say it's more like a pamphlet. <laughs> but... <laughs> What you get for that is is really two two things. So you know, du double the reward. You get a nice juicy rant from John Heapmanide, yeah, written in a way that only he can do. Um, yeah. <laughs> then at the yeah. same time, you get this this collection of very diverse uh, examples of, of ABI compatibility issues, many of which are quite surprising. So it, exactly as you said, and that will really give you a a much better idea of, of what the problem actually is and why why we need to do something about it, even if it doesn't actually tell you what we can do about it. 
So I think it's very valuable on both those fronts. So yeah, having the two together makes it very readable. Uh, I will definitely finish reading it uh, when I get a little <laughs> bit more time. <laughs> but it is worth yeah, we know, so after the CPP can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, so roundup of the standards news. Now, we actually had a another plenary. Now, this is the, the September edition of No Diagnostic Required, but because we started pushing the recording back to the beginning of the following month when we're now into October, we had the, the advantage of being able to take, take account of the uh, October plenary session. So the plenary is the, the meeting that the Standards Committee has three times a year, usually, usually associated with the, the physical meeting, where everyone gets together and actually uh, votes on the straw polls for what's actually going to get adopted into the next, the next standard. And this time, we had uh, quite a few uh, things that were up for the vote. And there's a bit of discussion about some of them, but everything got voted in. So, so that was good. One of them was one that we've talked about quite a few times on this show in the past, the monadic operations for stood optional. Not going to go into that again now, just that it's, it's a way of composing functionality uh, on, on optionals. So we have talked about it uh, several times in the past. And that's now been adopted into the working draft for C++23. So unless anything drastic changes, we will see that in C++23. So I think that's great news. Then another one that we have talked about fairly recently that got in was the multidimensional subscript operator. So this is the one where in C++20, we deprecated the use of the comma operator inside the, the square brackets for subscripting into an array so that we could pave the way for, in the future, allowing multidimensional subscripting. And then we were quite surprised when this paper came up uh, not that long ago, actually, to say, well, let's get it into C++23. And now here it is in C++23. So from deprecating the comma operator in C++20 to actually getting this in, I think was a pretty fast turnaround. So I'm quite impressed with that. Uh, another one we talked about recently was zip for sort of merging two ranges together. Again, we, we talked about that a little while ago. That's now in as well. And one other one, which I, I thought we had talked about, but actually I went back through previous shows and I couldn't find mention of this. So I'll talk a little bit more about it now. And that's deducing this. So I think this is actually a really important paper. I'm really glad that this has got in. So I think it's going to fundamentally change not necessarily all the code you write, but in the places where this is this comes up, it, it can really make a huge difference. So just to sketch in the, the motivating problem, uh, we, we have member functions on classes that often we need to annotate things like constant and volatile and reference types and R value reference types. And if we want to write particularly library code properly, we'll often find that we have to not only duplicate code, but we can actually use this term quadruplication because you have to write it out four times through all the different combinations of things. And very often it's pretty much identical implementation each time. So you can sort of use delegation patterns or, or use a helper function, but you'll still have to write out the signatures all those times and all the forwarding. And it's, it's tedious. It's lots of things that can go wrong, even if it's not technically hard. Like nobody wants to write code like this, and yet to, to write it properly, we, we really uh, should do. So the example given in the paper is actually from stood optional again. 
or a, a reference implementation of it. So yeah, the standard library has to deal with this. So the idea is that this all comes about because the this pointer is an implicit parameter to your member function. So we don't get to say anything about it. That's all done for you. The the constness and whether it's a reference or an R value reference is all a, a property of the, the member function itself. But if you were to, well, for example, if you have a um like a, a static helper function, as in the, the third column example at the bottom, then you can use a template argument to actually deduce those value categories and other properties of the what was the this pointer. And then you just got a single implementation. It'd be nice if we can actually make this explicit and then make it a template parameter. And then we wouldn't have to write all those forwarding member functions in the first place. And so that's exactly what deducing this proposes. And so here is the same example written using the de uh, deducing this syntax, where all you do is you, you declare the, the template, but you put the this keyword before the type that you want to refer to the, the this property. I, I forget now whether this can actually be in the non-first position. I know that they went backwards and forwards on that but that's usually where it would be anyway. And then otherwise, it just looks like a, a static member function where you just deduced the value category for, for this. And typically, you're going to make that a reference or an R value reference, or a, a, sorry, a forwarding reference, as in this case. And then you don't have to write all of those overloads, and you can use um, uh, stood forward if you do need to do anything else with it. That's the motivating case, just reduce, reducing that quadruplication. But once you've got this, it starts to open up all sorts of other possibilities. And some of the ones from the paper are, well, you know, you can pass this by value. So you call it member function. And rather than having a this pointer, which implies an indirection that you may not actually need to pay for, I mean, think of things like string view. Well, we, all we've got is just a, a pointer and a size. Accessing those for another pointer, assuming it's not optimized out, just adds overhead that you don't actually need. So if you can use a, uh, an explicit this argument to pass it in by value, then you can save that overhead and make the code cleaner at the same time. You can also do something like CRTP, the curiously recurring template pattern, but without the C, R, or even the T, as the title says. <laughs> uh, so much more succinctly, as the example here shows. And in fact, at the bottom, it actually says the proposed examples aren't much shorter, but they're certainly simpler by comparison. If you've ever done CRTP, you know how intrusive and ugly that gets. So having a, a much cleaner way to do it that just drops out of this new syntax is really welcome. And then one more example from the paper, recursive lambdas, because you can do the same thing with lambdas. Lambdas do have a this, an implicit this argument. Now you can make that explicit as well for lambdas. And that means you can actually call yourself back on the same lambda, which is something you can't do today. And there's been discussion about different ways that we could do that. Now we get it with this feature. There's a number of other consequences as well. I won't go into all of them. Read the paper, because I think this is a really big addition to C++ 23. I'm really pleased that it's got in. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Anastasia? Yeah, I'm actually just looking at the recursive lambdas here, and I would... I have to admit that the example actually looks impressive to me because it reads, you know, like a text. So I'm just reading the code as a text and that's so much 
uh, I guess, like, it's fantastic. I mean, like, I can read C++ as just a pure text, which is a very surprising <laughs> thing to me. So this index is cool. I'm just thinking about, like, if we get in too much power with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, probably there are some um, examples where maybe I don't want this power, but let's see how it goes. For now, what I see really looks impressive. I mean, it makes the code much more readable. That That's true. I definitely agree. Um, yeah, so, but in, that's an interesting direction. I mean, like, if at one point of time we get this kind of C++ code, uh, which will look like a pure text, <laughs> so you can just read it through, but it will still be the code. Um, and I like the direction, at least for now. So let, let's see <laughs> how it goes in the actual, you know, practical examples in the practical usage in the real life. Yeah, uh, any any new feature can be abused. but. In this case, I am hopeful because what we're actually doing here is just making something that was implicit, explicit. And really, that's all there is to it. And, and that's, in a way, that's actually simplifying things because we're, we're making the implicit explicit. Uh, it's even like in the Zen of Python that that's, that's, that's why Python has an explicit self-parameter for the same reason. Um, this is opt-in in this case, but it, the fact that it, opens up all these additional possibilities beyond the original motivating case, I think is a strong indicator that this is a just a valuable simplifying feature that shouldn't be open to too much abuse. Where it could be open to abuse is actually building other things on top of it. <laughs> but there was discussion <laughs> early on of extending it to doing things like um, something similar to uniform function core syntax or, uh, or, or something similar, uh, which could have derailed the whole thing, so that was quickly pulled out. There's other things that you can do that, that haven't been proposed, but the core feature itself is is just a really nice, simple addition to the language, which opens up many possibilities, and I think that's a really good sign. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, one of the authors of that proposal was um, Gashba Asman, who was also one of the authors of the minimal contract support paper that we've been talking about recently. That's had another revision this month. Not that much interesting in the revision. It's mostly sort of reorganizing the wording, making things clearer. You know, all good stuff, but nothing too much to talk about. But as part of the ongoing discussion about this paper, there have been a few concerns about, particularly the syntax, uh, how it might be locking in certain things, particularly because we are trying to keep a minimal set of features here as part of the, the minimal support. And there's some concern that that's going to lock us into when we want to extend that in the future. And I don't want to go too much into it because I have seen a, a proposal that hasn't actually been published yet, uh, which does propose an alternate syntax that does go to, to address some of those concerns. And it's interesting because it, it uses uh, Lambda's captures list syntax to, to make, again, give an explicit way to describe how you capture whether you copy certain parameters thinking particularly of post conditions where post condition will is specified up front but will actually execute at the end of a function so should it have the original value that was passed in or the possibly mutated value that was at the end and most of the time you would probably want the value that was passed in if you're specifying a post condition but that implies then you've got to copy it and there's all sorts of intricacies to that where you don't want it to be ha happening automatically so having a way to make that explicit in a 
syntax that's very familiar already that everyone understands, I think is a really interesting direction. So uh, when that paper is actually published, maybe we'll talk more about it. But I just wanted to mention it in that context because I think it's an interesting direction that we could be going in there. The only downside to this is it could be stirring up enough discussion that it may actually set this back to to not making it into C plus plus twenty three after all. Um, that would be a shame, but I think also would be probably for good reason that you know we're still not quite in consensus on even this minimal uh, subset of features yet. Uh, we'll see. We we've just about got time in, in the next few months to to lock down that design. I think the, the February meeting is when that finally gets locked. But uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Anastasia? Yeah, actually, that that was exactly I was thinking about when you started talking about some other syntax and all these variations because. You started the uh, language news today with so many nice things which are kind of uh, accepted to C plus twenty three, and with contracts we are like again on this stage of like discussing uh, variations, uh, which are good, <laughs> but yeah, would be would be also good to get some uh, contracts finally um, in the language. Um, so, but yeah, let's see. We still have some time, so maybe maybe. <laughs> We can yeah. get at least something. So, like, yeah, we already have this kind of cut version. I mean, like the context which were originally discussed for C plus plus twenty, they're uh, much more different from what we have now. So, it would be good to have at least this MVP, <laughs> yeah. good name for for the language. Um, yeah, kind of some product uh, product management term here. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that that's the whole goal. Like when you have an MVP, you're trying to get at least something. Um, to your customers, so it would be good to have at least something uh, in the language, uh, and yeah, maybe with this new syntax. Let's see uh, when the new paper is there. Yeah, uh, and even ABI came up in in this uh, new, new proposal. The is ABI... there any paper right now <laughs> <laughs> which is not mentioned in the ABI? I'm just like um, well, the, the yeah, reason it came up wondering... here is because we are talking about an MVP, a minimum viable product or proposal here um as i say one of the concerns is you know, how can we evolve this in the future while maintaining that backwards compatibility and the suggestion is that if we use this um closures syntax even if we don't fully use all of the features for example you know dictating how a post condition can refer to an initial or a, or a later value even if we don't actually specify that now because you can build on that lambda syntax and we already have that implemented that's unlikely to to change as we specify it further. That was the thinking behind it. Not everyone has bought into that, so we'll see where it goes. But yeah, it's an interesting idea that we can use an existing feature to make our ABI a little bit more robust, but may not play out that way in practice. Yeah, actually, I think uh, John Hinmanid was actually discussing that in this long, long article that how could you actually break the ABI with something which does not exist, but you actually can, because uh, when you first introduce it, you have to be very careful about it, because you might introduce it in the way that to change it later, you will have to break the ABI. Yeah. So that's a very tough topic, like, yeah, indeed, breaking the ABI with something which we don't have in the language uh, is also possible. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we have more views. Now, this, this proposal, uh, P2415, 
the R1 here, What is a View, was actually published the previous month, so August, uh, and R1 was in July, but we didn't discuss those then. And they came up again this month uh, because the, the authors have done uh, some slides to present to the, to the committee, uh, basically covering the same material again. So it's all, all fresh again, uh, but also because it's an interesting paper that we, we hadn't discussed before. And the problem is to do with how views have been defined in an abstract way as being either cheaply copyable or, or move only. But if they are move only, or in either case, their destructors need to be O1. So really, they, they basically rules out them being owning, that they can't own any of the data because then the, the destructor would be more expensive. And this paper is just really questioning what the, the actual reasoning behind that is. Have we actually missed something here? And the motivating example that I sort of pieced together from bits of the paper, not quite how it's presented there, but if you start off, say, with a vector of ints, and you just want to call a function that returns that vector of ints, if you use that directly, it will be an R value. So that was going to go away anyway. So it could, this could potentially be moved. You want to then pass that to some, um, to some view uh, range adapters then what you'd have to do is make that into an L value by capturing it as a variable. So it's moved into that, and then you, you apply the views to it. That all fulfills what we currently have as views in C++20. But it means now you've had to bring this, what was a, an R value, into the L value world and give it a name and have it uh, around for a while. And there's, um, there's a number of implications to that, which I've gone into in the paper, which make this not quite what you would want, but it's sort of what we have to do at the moment. What you really want to do is something more like the, the second example. It uses this bad view two type that, that's all explained in the paper. Uh, it, it's bad according to the current definition because it actually takes ownership of the vector that's moved into it. So you, you pass it the vector, uh, it moves into this view, and then applies the, the transformations. And at the end, the view itself is responsible for, for cleaning up that vector. So it has that more expensive destructor. But it was a cost you were going to pay anyway. Whether you pay it externally in the, uh, the, the vector that you've taken a copy of or internally to the view, it shouldn't really make a difference. Um, and the argument is that this is a cleaner way to do it and also gets us perhaps closer to being able to treat containers themselves as views, because now views can be potentially owning as long as you've moved their contents in rather than taking, taking a copy. It, it's a little bit subtle to get your head around, and I may not have described that perfectly, but it's an interesting problem because you would think of view, views as never been owning. <laughs> and in fact, that's, that's really what the, the current standard wording implies. So it's an interesting diversion from that. And interestingly, this proposal actually also got voted in to C++23 this week. So although there was a bit of discussion about it, it wasn't enough to, to stop that from going in. So it looks like we're going to see owning views in C++23. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, not 
That many, actually. I'm just thinking that even the owning views got their green light to the standard. <laughs> I keep thinking about yeah. the contracts here. Uh, but yeah, that's probably a good change and not a very, uh, you know, dangerous one. So looks okay. Yeah, I, I think there are some dangers there, but I'm, I'm not intimate enough with it to be able to describe them now. But uh, if, you, if you're interested, I do recommend you read the paper and uh, draw your own conclusions. But Maybe too late to actually change the vote at this point. <laughs> okay, so let's have a look at the, the tools news for this month. Starting with Visual C++, getting C++20 support officially. Want to talk to us about this one? Yeah, actually, um, uh, it caught my eye because uh, it was actually mentioned in the John Henry, uh this ABI long read, um regarding the no unique address. But in general, there is yet yeah, this announcement that uh, Microsoft actually announced this sufficient level of C++20 support in Microsoft uh, MSVC compiler. And they even added this to the C++20 switch, uh, which means a lot because you probably know that the way they uh, maintain the ABI compatibility is that they are not stating the ABI compatibility for this C++ latest switch. Uh, but with this C plus plus twenty to C plus plus twenty switch, uh, that means that yeah, they do consider it quite stable in terms of the ABI. So that's uh, actually uh, like indeed a huge announcement and um, uh, yeah, a huge point in time. And yeah, we're here on ABI topic again, <laughs> so I will skip the biggest part of this announcement and we'll come to this uh, point of no unique address. So uh, the problem is that the Microsoft compiler kind of ignores the attributes that it doesn't know and because it's actually allowed by the standards. So, and that means that the C++20 no unique address is kind of causing the issues for the code compiled with the Microsoft compiler. So you can get the problems when, uh, as listed here, you have uh, compiling this uh, the same header source under different switchers or you're linking some libraries built with older versions of Microsoft compiler. So you might get into the, uh, you know, ABI issues here. So to avoid that, Microsoft actually did a very interesting thing. They decided to postpone the optimization for this new C++ 20 attribute until the next ABI package in the uh, MSVC. But if you still want to force the optimization, there is another attribute actually introduced, which is called MSVC no unique address, um, kind of very similar one, but very specific to Microsoft Color. And it works in um, versions of Visual Studio 2019 and higher for all compiler switches, whatever. So if you still want to use the feature, you can do that, but you have to switch to this very compiler specific attribute from the one from the standard. Uh, the one from the standard is actually like, yeah, kind of not working. Uh, as it should be until the next ABI breakage. And that's a very interesting approach, I would say. Uh, I mean, like, just introduce a new attribute if you still want to use it. So uh, you're probably doing it kind of uh, more explicitly and fruitfully <laughs> when changing the kind of generic attribute to a compiler-specific one. So, yeah. That's the story mentioned in the uh, ABI long read. And also, yeah, maybe the most important and interesting point in this uh, announcement, apart from the fact itself that yeah, Microsoft confirmed the sufficient level of C20 support. 
what do you think about this attribute switch? <laughs> well, I'm not going to go over the ABI story again, but what, what I found interesting about this is that the fact that it was the introduction of the attribute that caused the ABI breakage, or, or rather the, the change from whether you do anything with the attribute or, or not. Because there's a, there's a common narrative that attributes uh, should be, shouldn't change anything whether you have them there or not. They're, they're just there to annotate something or give a hint to the, the compiler whether it's going to warn you about something. You know, think of something like no discard, for example. Rather than actually changing what the compiler is going to generate. This has come up, we, we talked previously about the contract syntax, which looks like attributes. It's not even attributes, but because it looks like attributes, people are saying, yeah, but we can't then let that change the code that's going to be generated to in, in, introduce these, these contracts. That's one of the, the problems with the, the syntax. Whereas this is saying, well, if you use this, this attribute, it's actually going to change the layout of the object in memory and therefore can potentially cause an ABI break. So, yeah, I think that that horse has already bolted. So maybe we should stop, stop talking about attributes, not changing <laughs> uh, what, what gets compiled. Yeah, I I don't think that no unique address attribute has had any chance to avoid that. Yep. <laughs> I mean, like it was specifically introduced to do that <laughs> and to change the object layout. So yeah, no chances here. Yeah, yeah. Um, the API side of it is is quite sad though, but hopefully one day we'll we'll get it sorted. <laughs> yeah. Okay, more positive news then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely not about the ABI. I do hope so. <laughs> so yeah, we've started the LXS previews for point free versions for our C++ tools here in JetBrains. So C-Line is the first one to talk about. So um, actually, this time the team is kind of focusing on, you know, enhancing the debugger experience and uh, making the better embedded development experience and also making the toolchain and environment configurations much easier in C-Line, which is still kind of a problem for some of our users, and we do hope to uh, improve in this direction. So regarding the debugger, like there is some refreshed UI and uh, like some new views uh, in the debugger tool window, like we added the Perl stack view and also some new tabs for FreeRTOS case uh, for those who are working with uh, with it. Um, and like, yeah, talking about the embedded development, there are some improvements to peripheral view and hacks view um, in, in the debugger tool window. And talking about the tool chain, what we actually done so far is that we actually bundled MinGW for Windows. So if you're on Windows, you can just, you know, download C-Line and the MinGW tool chain will be already there. So you don't have to download these packages and trying to, you know, figure out which parts to install. Uh, you no longer need that. Uh, and also there is a, we switched the default generator in CMake and CLine to Ninja. And I guess that's the right choice for now because Ninja is much more popular, I guess, and better in terms of the performance because previously we were using the make file generator. 
So the switch is done for CMake uh, 3.20 and higher versions. And also we actually bundled the Ninja so that you even don't need to, you know, to download and install it. So the bundled version will be used in many cases. And the next part of this toolchain story is that we added an ability to configure the environment by sourcing a script, which is a very popular case in various embedded toolchains and like many others, when you just source a script to set the whole environment. Previously, you still can do, uh, there was an option to do that. You can pass the environment to the CMake options, but it's kind of inconvenient, especially because usually you have this script, so you just need to launch it uh, properly. And now you have an option to pass it to CLine, to Toolchain, and CLine will be sourcing the script uh, in a proper like points of time. And... Yeah, from the point of uh, readability of the code in C-Line, uh, probably the next big thing we added was this um, type hints, uh, which yeah appeared. And previously we had these parameter hints, and now we added the type hints, and they actually make the code much more readable, in uh, especially for like these auto variables or structured bindings or even lambda return types. So you can have these types now uh, in the editor and look at what actually is happening there, like in this case um, with the deduced types. And I actually even have one teaser because it's not yet in the public build of uh, C-Line AAP, but I do hope that maybe by the time the episode is live, uh, there will be a build available for everyone that the Docker toolchain is actually also coming to C-Line. So that's to the point of the simplifying the configuration steps. So there will be a dedicated Docker toolchain. And if you were using Docker in C-Line, so previously uh, we were recommending you to use the um, remote toolchain and to like uh, work with Docker, like with the just the remote machine. But there were uh, some issues with that, that... Uh, it caused the uh, redundant synchronization because you actually don't need that. So now with the Docker toolchain, there is just uh, the project folder is just simply mounted to the Docker container. And so there are no like code duplication or redundant synchronization done. So it's uh, much lighter in that case. So this new Docker toolchain will be coming next to the C-Line AP. So yeah, and I guess that's... Um, the biggest thing we have for now, and I hope more <laughs> are actually coming. The actual release is planned uh, in the end of November or beginning of December, as usual. Um, yeah, and the next tool in the family is ReSharper C++, and we also started the AP for, for this product. So, uh, like ReSharper and its sibling ReSharper C++ are now both available for Visual Studio 2022 preview. And that's actually very big news because uh, Visual Studio 2022 is finally allowing 64-bit processes for um, uh, including the extensions and which actually gives the plugins more memory and improves, you know, overall performance and responsiveness in can the I, large solutions. Can I just emphasize the word finally there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finally. Um, yeah, like uh, the, the preview builds are uh, available. So we started actually some um, very closed preview in summer and now it's available in the regular AP builds and it seems that it, it it's working nicely so it indeed addresses quite many issues which were mostly caused by the lack of the memory because like you know 32 bits processes and C++ are kind of tough 
altogether. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it makes the things much better. And on the more product-specific improvements ReSharper C++ uh, has in this EAP, it's actually trying to uh, force recent C++ language changes and best practices on, on users. So like the new standard library functions, which are actively promoted and some best practices are suggested via the new code inspections. So you can find a few uh, very interesting cases there. Um, and also um, to the similar question, uh, to the similar topic of the code readability, like uh, we have the type hints in C line, we already have them in ReSharper C++, but this time for better readability and understanding the code easier, in this EP, we actually updated the Quicken for tooltip to include the evolution result of the uh, constant expression. So you can now see the actual uh, uh, result, the actual evolution of this constant expression in the Quicken for tooltip. So, which probably makes the code uh, a bit more readable uh, as well. So, yeah, this is also the, the nice change there. Um, and yeah, that's mostly it about this uh, two EP program started. So um, do you have any thoughts on that, Phil? Any comments? <laughs> Actually, just, just going back for a moment to the, uh, the, the C-Line release for EAP and the, the type hints feature. As you said, that sort of follows on from parameter hints that, that was out a while ago. This is one of those features that I both love and hate. <laughs> and so I actually have a feature request associated with this, which is it'd be really nice to be able to quickly switch that, that feature on and off. Because when you want it, it's really handy. When you don't want it, it's really annoying because it can actually change the, you know, how much you've got on the screen at once. And I did yeah, actually try... You can, you can actually do that. So if you just uh, right-click on the type hint, there will be a uh, like context menu where you can just turn everything off or just open the settings. Uh, and you know, some there you can do some configuration there. Like for example, if you prefer only the parameter hints or some very specific type hints, you can do that from the context menu. So maybe not the one click, but kind of, you yeah. know, a click and then some action. <laughs> yeah. And no, I, I did try um, creating a keyboard shortcut for the global globally on and off but I found that it, it didn't actually take effect until you restarted. So that wasn't so useful, but yeah, it'd be nice if that, that could be done globally. But apart from that, this, it is a really nice feature. Yeah, yeah, definitely we can consider that. I guess we have something like that in ReSharper C++ when there is this push to hint option where you can actually avoid these hints, but you can press like, you know, some magic buttons mm. to get these hints on the screen. So it's possible there. So maybe we, we have to consider something similar in C-Line as well. Yeah, no, that'd be good. If we're talking to C-Line, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you take this one. <laughs> yeah, I can actually take this one, even though it's kind of written by you, Phil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, thanks for the nice article. I, I have to, to admit here that I really love that. So, uh, yeah, that's about the Sonar Source, Sonar Lint plugin for C-Line. And actually, following our, you know, developer ecosystem server results, we can see that most of the people, they do rely on their ID capabilities in terms of the static analysis, which in case of C-Line are quite wide, but, you know, as usual, you always can do more, <laughs> especially in terms of the static analysis and especially for C++, I guess there are lots yeah. of uh, possibilities here. And so for sure, there are plugins enhancing the building opportunities in C-Line and Sornalint plugin is 
Um, it, it was released, I guess, somewhere in the beginning of summer. summer. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the, the exact timing. Just before I joined, May, June. Yeah, and so this blog post, yeah, kind of explains the benefits of which the plugins bring uh, bring to the users. So there are a few examples in the blog, um, so so you can read through and like see how the uh, checks from the Sonalit plugin are enhancing the building functionality. Like for example, do more details for the bundled connectivity checks, which is for sure are like useful, but sometimes they are quite general. I mean, you can do much more with more specific details. And that's what the Sonarlint plugin suggests. But what I found really very interesting is these uh, security issues and how you can address them with the uh, you know, Sonarlint plugin. Like this case with the, uh, which I found personally, personally very interesting is the compiler, which might uh, optimize out the call to memset, which might clear the passwords in the memory. Um, like and the way to how the plugin suggests to you know to change it to memset as called to uh, to fix the case actually and this um, also these checks regarding these uh, cryptography libraries in your code which might be uh, like when you might call some outdated uh, algorithms and how the plugin suggests to use something better in this case so I think uh, these are the nice additions. Um, and uh, I found personally uh, very interesting examples in the blog post. So thank you very much, Phil, for that. So especially for the, like, yeah, the Clank Tidy checks. Like, I have to say, Clank Tidy is a great tool. Mm. And it's good to have something like this basis in the community when you have uh, all these basic checks available to, like, everyone. Because quite many tools are right now bundling the Clank Tidy. And so you get them just out of the box in your ID of choice. It might be C-Line or it might be some different ID. So you have them uh, and that's great, but uh, we always can do more and we always can do uh, more checks here. So I don't know, Phil, what, what's your favorite check here? <laughs> what's your favorite case <laughs> from the blog post? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I did particularly like, I don't have it on the screen, but, but the very first example, uh, which does exist as a as a clean tidy check already to, to check whether the the argument you're passing by um I think it's only by pointer in the clean tidy case. If it could be made const if it's not actually mutated. And we just extend that to to more types and to the references as well. Uh and, and a few other things as well, just to make it more rounded out. But that's mm-hmm. something that I, I would find really useful particularly if I'm working with a, a legacy code base to, to find places that you can make that, that change. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I call like the basis you have in a clank tidy, mm-hmm. but then you kind of extend it with some more types, for example, or some more cases uh, like which could, you know, be on. So yeah, in that sense, uh, it might be a very interesting experience. So yeah, do try the plugin. It's mm-hmm. kind of available in the plugin wrapper. So, and it's free, so you can just download it, install it into your C line and try it out. And yeah, you can report some feedback to uh, to Phil <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> or to us <laughs> as well. It was an interesting article to write, sort of having worked on, on both sides of it. <laughs> yeah, but you kind of, you know, uh, knew the topic. <laughs> which uh, you is would good. Hope. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so finally then, CPPCon, is that going to be on this year? 
Yeah, actually, it's a good feeling to wrap up with with the conference topic uh, in the current uh, current times. So yeah, finally, CPCon gonna be a hybrid conference later in October. So I guess our next edition will be after the CPCon. So we'll we'll mm. probably share our experience after uh, the CPCon um, edition this year. So it actually announced the program, uh, and I have to say that it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be hybrid. So there are like four tracks planned for on-site attendees and five tracks for online attendees. So uh, I really would like to be there in person <laughs> in Aurora, in Colorado, but I won't. I will be only online. Um, but the program is great. I mean, like... Uh, um you can actually it's nice to see that the program now have have uh it has all these marks like online or just on-site talk or both which is interesting to to inspect and uh also there are quite interesting tracks available this year there is this classical back to basics embedded track and also a new software design track which i find very interesting um and there are like um great talks announced there and great keynotes like um I would definitely uh, suggest you pay attention to um, a few of them. And the, the tickets for the online are still available. And it's so easy, you know, to just buy an online ticket right now and to join the CPCon like uh, the next day, which is super easy thing. You don't have to um, to fly anywhere to, you know, to book the hotel or the travel or to think about if you're actually uh, capable of uh, getting there. So just buy an online ticket and join the great event. And uh, there will be Bjarne talking about the, you know, general goals of C++ and how we're achieving them through the times, which I personally find a very um, encouraging keynotes. I, ho I hope they will be great and uh, pretty much sure they will be actually. So, and he's going to talk about many interesting things. And I found a very interesting point in the talk announcement that The announcement is um, mentioning the elimination of the preprocessor. <laughs> um, so it would be interesting to hear the BRNS word in that. Uh, Titus uh, Winter from Google will be teaching you how to do the design uh, for the long term, which I think is a perfect topic for the person from Google. I mean, mm -hmm. who could talk about the designing uh, huge systems for long term uh, if that's not Google? <laughs> And yet, Uh, hope for the great uh, talk from Titus. Herb will be talking about the pattern matching. Um, and um, like, yeah, I like um, the way he's, you know, promoting these new proposals to the audience. <laughs> so we'll see um, what he's going to talk about in this pattern matching talk. Um, I also like the Jason's talk uh, announcement regarding the Constexper and giving some practical applications for Constexper. I think like, you know, this, uh, all these talks from this Constexper, all the things or not Constexper, all the things and uh, all the, all these talks from this series, I, I think I will love Jason, uh, Jason's talk as well. Uh, and uh, like, yeah, Michael Chase with some talk on Embedded and many, many other talks there in the program. So like the program is really great, I think. And I guess both of us will also have a talk <laughs> there. Yep, that'll be delivering that remotely as well. Yeah, un unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know, like, I would like to give it in person, but I will be unfortunately given online. Uh, it will be code analysis 
plus plus from me and i guess a talk dedicated to code analysis as well from you it's slightly more general than that um, more about software quality including static analysis and it's uh zen and the art of code lifecycle management i think i got that right <laughs> i like <laughs> the name <laughs> you have to see how i connect that all up <laughs> yeah like uh that sounds great so yeah both of our sessions will be online um and yeah we'll be capturing various aspects of the code quality i guess um but there are actually a few other conferences around um like for example today we have finalized the program for civil plus russia conference which yeah. will be uh in the middle of november so we will we'll soon be announcing the final program for C++ Russia. So do you know any other news from other conferences? So uh, I'm actually going to, in person, NDC Tech Town in a couple of weeks. That's in Norway. Uh, that, that'll be the first one uh, back in person that I'll, I'll have been to. Uh, obviously, I can't go to CPPCon this year. The, the visa situation hasn't worked out uh, for travel from the UK. But then shortly after that, there will be uh, ADC, the Audio Developers Conference in London. That's going to be a hybrid as well, so an in-person component. I, I may get along with a little bit of that. C++ Russia, as you say. And uh, meeting C++, I think that's also in November, is going to be purely online this year again. And then CPPP. The, the Paris, no, normally in Paris, I say normally, it's only been there once so far, but <laughs> um, that's going to be uh, purely online this year. It was uh, cancelled last year completely, so good to see that back. Um, and not quite so relevant to the C++ crowd um, these days, it used to be a bit more, uh, NDC Oslo is also going to be in person this year. That's, that's also in November. Uh, I'm going to be going along to that one. So, yeah, a good mix uh, coming up of in, online, in person, and, and a couple of hybrids. It's going to be interesting to see how they work out. It's really our first attempt in our community, at least, to to run these hybrid conferences. So, yeah, keen to see how they're going to work out. Yeah, that that looks impressive. I actually recently read for the kind of trip report uh, regarding the Core C++ conference, which was held in uh, mm. Israel in August, I guess. So it was kind of in person. Uh, more or less local conference. I mean, like most of the people there uh, who were present there were from Israel itself. Yeah. Uh, but there were some, I guess, uh, speakers from other countries, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I've heard that it was quite good and it was like a very nice event. Not that small one you could think about. So kind of a great event for, there are quite many great developers there and there are uh, lots of um interesting topics they were discussing so yeah it seems that it was great so civil plus russia we were actually thinking about the hybrid conference maybe four or five months ago mm -hmm. but it turned out that it's not feasible right now so we converted to pure online just you know to do preparations in a proper way i mean like when you're not thinking about what is possible and what is not but you're just preparing the conference so, uh, and like, yeah, we, we do have uh, a great lineup right now. Hopefully we'll be publishing the program soon uh, with talks like both in English and in Russian. So I do hope for a great Russian uh, event there. And probably we might be back to some uh, 
offsite events for my user group, maybe in a couple of months. Yeah. We're right now discussing a few options. Uh, so we might try to set something up. So, uh, as you know, probably that I'm like, I put it on halt because I'm, uh, I heard that I don't have uh, strength enough to, <laughs> to go to online, maybe too tired of all these online events. So I decided just to put it on hold, but right now I think it may, that maybe we will restart uh, slowly in this kind of, uh, you know, in-person mode. We'll see um, how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at doing similar with C++ London, but as we get into the, the autumn conference season, I'm actually finding very little time to organize it. But yeah, it's pretty we'll much packed, in. I would say, yeah. <laughs> even for the pandemic times. Uh, in fact. Um, I'm going to CPPP, the normally Paris conference, which is December the 1st to the 3rd, and also NDC Oslo, which is also from the 1st to the 3rd. I'm going to be in Oslo in person and, and also attending the conference in Paris remotely. Yeah, but um, these are the benefits, you yeah, know, of exactly. this modern world of online conferences. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's true. Okay, well, I think that's. Um, well over time for this month, so we should definitely wrap up there. <laughs> but um, we will be back within a month, hopefully, to give you another packed schedule. So we'll see you all then. Bye. Yeah, see you. Bye.